Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Well, Joe, I'm officially a bassman. <laughs> oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mm. got a bass guitar recently, and Ooh. I think it's... Even though I love the guitar, and I love mm-hmm. playing the guitar, mm-hmm. I feel like this is... I feel like the bass will fit mm. my dynamic here as you provide us this great exhibition with all of this great research where mm. you don't really notice I'm here until you stop talking because you're kind of like the lead guitar. Ah, right. And right. then I just come in when, you, when you're when you not, uh, you know, on your pedestal. Well, see, I might be the one that's talking the most, but you're really holding the whole show together because without the bass, it's just going to sound flat. So, mm, mm. I mean, that's, ve- that's very kind of you. That's a nice way of you... Uh, uh, highlighting my lack of contribution here. No, what are you talking about? Lack of contribution. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely yeah, untrue. I, I mean, I I appreciate that. Um, as I am, you know, currently trying to finish up my master's degree. Uh, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I'm I'm trying to see myself where I would uh, fit into a situation playing the bass, because I've never been there. I've never had to have that much responsibility put Mm. on me for a song before. Gotcha. You know, it's the thing that you... I think I've used this anecdote before, but the first time you hear Led Zeppelin, you're taken away by Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. Right. But when you listen to Led Zeppelin, once you're maybe older and know more about music, maybe you yourself are a musician, Mm -hmm. what you really connect with is John Bonham and John Paul Jones, Mm -hmm. the Joneses. Right. Because you realize that they're the ones holding that shit show together. Yeah. Yeah. Rhythm rhythm and bass truly do form like the anchors mm-hmm. to most songs and even bass in itself like i find finding out recently actually as i'm mixing music that like you mm-hmm. need bass to be correct and fill out your mix or right. it is not gonna sound right but also if you mess oh, with yeah. it it can ruin everything so yeah. it, it, i mean it's the thing that i really realized once i when i was playing with bands more there's a song grounds for divorce by elbow and hmm. there's this part in it right after th- this instrumental break that just sounds so cool that they have after the verses and suddenly realizing one day, oh, the reason why I can't, no matter how much fuzz I put on my guitar right, and I turn the bass EQ up, I cannot get that blow 
people away tone Mm. and it's really because it's not the guitar playing it or just the slide guitar playing it it's the fact that there's a fuzzy bass playing that lead melody it'll do it too it'll do it yeah you need both together um Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. you know i wonder if there's a in a church somewhere, like a really cool progressive Catholic church, there's like the hierarchical system, but it's a band members, but it's like replaced. So it's like the Pope playing like lead guitar singing or something. No, the Pope would be singing, and then there would be like the Cardinals playing like lead guitar, and then you know you're, figuring it out. Joe, that way. you're describing Ghost. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess that's that's the that's the more satanic version, right? But hmm. If there is a if there is a band where the lead singer is dressed like some version of a pope, it's Ghost. I guess that's true. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. I'm sure that I'm sure the church loves that. Um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyways, but yeah, I mean, I think that yeah. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna be serenading us with your bass here too as we as we continue on our journey with maybe if I Catholics? get a, maybe if I get a little better. Um, okay, I I only know a couple of bass lines, uh, and they're to really random songs. I mean, of <laughs> course, of course, I know "Come Together," but right, I also know the bass line oddly enough to "All These Things I Have Done" by The Killers. Okay, it's obscure, I guess. In the yeah. case of just, just don't become like Scott Pilgrim, and you'll be fine. I guess. Mm, okay, so okay, that's really that's basically all you need to like avoid, and you'll be okay. Basically, oh, nice. Basically, yes. don't be Scott Pilgrim. Um, speaking of pilgrims, though, <laughs> I mean my girl, my girlfriend does dye her hair a lot of different mm. colors. Oh man, there you go. Uh. Oh, I'm gosh. more I'm more her manic pixie dream boy than anything. Okay, you know? so, I feel like hmm. we're we're a good reversal of that role. Right. So you are you are the Ramona f- flowers because you have all the flowers on your shirts. So that really is how it Ex- works out. Exactly. Mm, see, mm-hmm. nailed it. Oh yes. man. So we are back today talking Protestants and Catholics, the yes, pros yes, yes. and cons, the, pro- the Protestants and the convents. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that does kind of work in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, super excited to be picking back up on our part two of Protestants and Catholics and mm-hmm. just getting right down into it. We got a lot to cover. Some crazy Game of Thrones stuff is going to be going down in this story that I have prepared for us later on. It's nuts. Doing the research for this was pretty crazy, but it's also fascinating that it's a part of history and kind of makes a lot of sense Like when we're talking about why people were fleeing out of Europe in the 1500s and 1600s, but we'll get there. But... Just to sort of recap and set the stage for what we'll be talking about, we have to pick back up slightly on Martin Luther after his 95 theses or the, his origin on the, of the theses, So as we were mm-hmm. saying. But essentially, what you need to know, without getting too far into the specifics of it all, since we're looking at this more broadly rather than closely at each one, his... The Reformation, starting with the 95 Thesis, blows up throughout Europe and spreads like wildfire, as we covered last week on our tour. And moving forward with that, it got him, it got Luther, that is, in a lot of trouble. 
And uh-huh. his writings are going to be read by numerous amounts of other scholars and theologians and other people who are going to be very inspired by this. But for mm-hmm. for emperors, for kings, for the pope, for other people, they're going to be pretty mad and label even label him a heretic and excommunicate him, which he really doesn't care too much about, to be honest. At this point, he already knew what was going to happen. But mm-hmm. something to keep in mind is that Luther gets pretty much run out of Germany and by uh, Emperor Charles V. And <laughs> like he is on the run at some at one point because and his followers with him as well, due to the fact that he is spreading blasphemous blasphemous takes and, you know, basically uh the cause for a lot of uprisings and other things, but people ended up taking his side. And this he he does make it to safety and ends up, you know, hiding mm-hmm. out and continuing his writing and the Lutheran church shows up following his way of order but they're not the only I'm going to start my own church <laughs> it's a very non-original name when you think about it we follow mm-hmm. Martin Luther what do we call ourselves mm. Mm. the Lutherans <laughs> or as I I, mean, I, I I have an idea if nobody if nobody else has, has it, it, I, I I know <laughs> I, I I just think we 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 could name it after me. Mm, okay. Well, I guess we can leave that yeah. on the table. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my Bernie Sanders for Martin Luther because I've been thinking a lot <laughs> about it over the last week. I'm oh like, yeah. Mm, the man was an anti-Semite. Yeah. As, ha- as have other people we've talked about <laughs> right here before. Um, but you know, I think that I think that just kind of I feel like there's a justice in that. You know? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I I, I was at a Shabbat dinner once with some Israelis when we were abroad. This mm. was before co right before COVID actually, uh, and we were sitting around and for you know unfortunately when when you sit down with Israelis suddenly you're talking about politics. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know n- next thing you know I I feel like they they. I don't know how it came up, but I mentioned that, uh, you know, I I was more politically aligned that with a Bernie Sanders than a Donald Trump. Uh, and they were like, isn't Bernie Sanders an anti-Semite? And I was like, Bernie Sanders is Jewish. I right. <laughs> I think it's the other way around in this case. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it just kind of it. I mean, it, it just. To me, in my head, I'm going to stick by and stand fair and enough, stand by enough. this. <laughs> fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> this just because of just because of that memory and and I feel like the bizarre justice <laughs> of this is what right. we're going to do with with yeah. Ma- with the legacy of Martin Luther. I mean, that's fine. I, we'll talk about him only in like past tense at this point because that's pretty much wrapping his storyline for where we're going to take it. But yes, please, mm-hmm. I think the voice is fitting in this case, and as you said. You um, can't erase me. Oh God! Well, watch me. No, <laughs> clearly, clearly not, because I think there's a Lutheran church around the corner from my house. So, oh. um, yeah, you know, now I'm we know sure why they have. I'm sure they have a nice barbecue every now and then. Yeah, probably. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of different churches around me, and honestly, I never knew the differences between them. As I said, but anyway, uh, we we live in the Northeast. Yes. You just throw you throw a rock and you hit a church. Exactly. Don't throw rocks at churches. Do please. not do not do that. Anyways, yes. Luther flees, his followers go with him, but at the same time, it's still one of the many, many, many 
sects of Protestantism that are going to be starting up in Europe and continuing to go forward well well into now, honestly. Um, and we can even see here the beginning split between a North and South, North Northern Europe's take on religion versus Southern Europe's take. But we'll cover that in a few more minutes because there's some other things we have to go over first. And with that being said, we're going to head over to our uh, next room here, which is more focused on Calvinism and John Calvin, um, mm -hmm. which I always think is from, you know, when I think of John Calvin, I like to think of Calvin and Hobbes because of mm. how they're named. But John Calvin so is you, nothing you like think Calvin. Of, you think of John Calvin as an overactive six-year-old? <laughs> I want to really badly, but he's quite literally the opposite. He's a no fun guy, like at all. Aww. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like no fun, no fun in the sense that he's a buzzkill or he's just he hardcore. No, he's just hardcore. Mm. Well, I don't know. I mean, he he's a lot of things, and like we don't really necessarily have to get into his like full backstory because it's mm -hmm. not necessarily important. But what is important is his teachings. And what he mm -hmm. was like. And he is a major figure in like early 16th century thought and what's going to happen right. in terms of moving forward. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we're getting into this like really gritty social navigation that's going to come into this into play here, it's mm -hmm. he's important to talk about. He's literally like kindling to some of these yeah. to these events, quite literally. Well, you know, inter interestingly, uh, Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes is named after John Calvin. Yeah, no, I know. That's why I was making a joke about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so is Hobbes is named after uh, Hobbes. Thomas. Hobbes is named after Thomas Hobbes. Thomas Hobbes. Yeah, did not not from the same time period though, if I recall. A little yeah, like similar, yeah. similar. Se but... Separated by a little bit, both had interesting ideas on humanity. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, quite yeah, different, but at the same time, uh, focusing on Calvin's humanist ideas though, as well as religious mm -hmm. ones, it does end up forming another off branch like Martin Luther's Lutherans. We get John Calvin's Calvinists, but they're not mm -hmm. necessarily tied to him as like their Messiah figure. It's a mm -hmm. bit, it's, it's interesting though. Yeah. To, to the credit of Lutherans, even now they understand that Martin Luther is a complex figure and they yeah. can take his ideas and they can go forward, uh, not needing to cling to him as, a um an absolute infallible right. figure he exactly Martin luther is not the pope he is not new no. it's it it's it's not a figure that they need to follow to the letter right so you can right. you you can you can kind of give them credit there i think that's absolutely um, yeah. No, but it's it, you're right, 100%, because it's that's a fundamental difference here between mm -hmm. where you have Catholics worshiping the Pope, in a sense, um, or looking to the Pope for guidance, and, and even yeah. historically. These figures like Calvin, like uh, uh, Luther, mm -hmm. they are responsible for starting some of these thoughts, but they're not mm -hmm. the end-all, be-all origins of them. And even with Calvinism, a lot of people will argue based in... Um, what John Calvin's original thinking is and like going beyond it mm -hmm. and not even including him in the reference of it. And apparently even today mm. with Calvinism, that's important where, you, you know, you say Calvinism and it mostly has nothing to even do with John Calvin anymore. Like he's not necessarily important. We're not at a mm -hmm. point yet where these figureheads starting different versions of Protestantism or different just, yeah, versions of the religion 
are like gods or they are the rulers. Mm-hmm. That's where we're getting to cult territory. Here, they're thinkers and teachers. So even with John Calvin, you know, he's a French pastor, theologian, and reformer uh, who then gets based in in Genoa, but he's coming out of the early 1500s, and that's where we're that's where we're going to start our timeline here moving forward. But mm-hmm. he is responsible for creating this theological process and this idea, which will be known as Calvinism, as we were talking about. But you know, it is it's an important thing here. But we don't necessarily have to get into like very specifics of it. Again, we could spend two tours doing that. Rather, what we want to look at moving forward into the, to- the people we're going to be focusing on as our main story on this tour, this ideology in France specifically during the humanist period, really where things are starting to be thought of differently, his mm-hmm. teachings and what he starts doing and this idea is fundamentally important for shaping the political atmosphere and the attitudes of people during this time and moving forward. And so to give a very brief thing, uh, uh, explanation of what Calvinism is, because it's kind of confusing in a lot, essentially, it's really made up of five major tenets to it um, that go back and forth and not every single person believes in it. And I'm not even entirely... 100% familiar on this as well but this is the very this is the crash course version of that so you have mm-hmm. I mean it's 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 talk about efficiency Martin yeah. Luther had 95 problems uh Moses had 10 commandments John Calvin's got it down to five this really is, we're really this working is progress it. this is progress yeah this, it's called quick and easy and to to an extent <laughs> that kind of it works though We'll talk about it. So (laughs) you have the first things first is unconditional election. And essentially what that is, is that God elects people or chooses them based on their own will in the the masculine version, his own will or her own will um, Mm -hmm. and is unconditional in a sense. So this is where we're getting the idea of God's chosen people, God choosing Christians to be a part of the faith, whether you know it or not, you are chosen to be Christian. So just keep that in the back okay. of your head because that's important here. Okay, okay, okay. Um, then you have limited atonement. This is interesting. So mm-hmm. in the Calvinism, this idea, the penalty of sins that Jesus paid for was limited to just God's people. So rather than, like, like in, in this case, Jesus did not die for the whole world, but only for God's people who were the elected, see above tenant. Jesus then paid for the sins of Christians, not everybody, and this Mm -hmm. is justified by the Calvinists by saying that if Jesus did save everyone, then everyone would be saved, but the Bible says otherwise, and and that those people still need to be saved, so rather than have a a confliction or anything, you know, not adding up, Mm. therefore there has to be some sort of limited atonement, because obviously not everybody is saved, because we have to go save people. Obviously. Obviously. So this is where things get a little bit of a mess, but this is also Mm -hmm. where you see Bible over religious order. It is word of God in hand of person, most powerful thing ever. That right. and we talked about that last time being the most effective part. This is the the thing that it's obviously the if we want to talk about pros and cons, this is <laughs> the, the the focus on purely looking at the written word and removing the 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 pageantry of Catholicism, all of the extra esoteric yeah. and mystical stuff that goes with Catholicism. You just have the word. And in one sense that I think, you know, we could maybe 
get a little bit behind is as as people that don't necessarily have skin in this game there's certainly the idea that you should that that you could look at this material and try to come just look at the words and try to come up with your own interpretation and try to uh try to establish your own relationship to this to the work to spirituality right. to god whatever but by by doing that you also end up with this runaway cycle of well i think this well i think that exactly and people that suddenly have to cling to some idea of literalism to that work uh yeah. to, to to just the text and yeah. having having to suddenly put this pressure on it to not be poetic trying to exactly. find the logic in it not that catholics don't do that but right. this does seem to be a an issue that will continue yeah. uh, as protestantism rolls along yes yeah exactly and i mean this is also worked out at the same time too but yeah it's mm -hmm. gonna be a it's gonna be a problem um mm -hmm. but then you have irresistible grace and so they believe that God summons you to be a Christian and you are always and you are regenerated and made anew. You cannot resist this as it was going to happen anyway. And salvation is right. based on God's call on your life or to your life. How do they how do they feel about um like with with Catholics you have confession, which we talked a little bit about right. last time, where you know, a priest gives you a gives you guidelines to atone for what you have done, and we can look at that kind of cynically for 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 plenty of legit re legitimate reasons through history of people that will say, "Oh, well, you know, if I repent, then yeah. I'm fine." But built into that is the idea that humans will fail occasionally we will be wrong we will make the wrong decisions but it it allows a philosophical idea of forgiveness on some level and an yeah. opportunity to try again yes yes and very important i i i'm sure you'll get into it as we go especially uh especially if we're talking about calvinism and i know right. a certain tenant that we're going to be getting to i i wonder how much of this is in response to watching probably in their own context they are watching people uh se seemingly brush off their their bad deeds with yeah the with the seeming ease of being forgiven within the context of confession and yeah. atoning like that you could just oh well you know i said i'm sorry it's it's sort of the equivalent of that like if yeah all you do is say you're sorry for something it's kind of an out at the same time right. i think they're trying to they're they're inching towards this idea that if you do something wrong, that is um, a deep measure of your character as yeah. as a whole, of as a person. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is correct, and sometimes that is not. Yes, I agree. 
I, I don't know entirely the specifics of their like atonement or absolution or whatever they do to stop mm-hmm. that, but I know it's not easy in a mm-hmm. sense, and it is definitely not the same as going to confession. And I think that's across the board for most Protestant um Protestant sects of religion. Mm-hmm. Uh because especially I think in Calvinism too, it's a lot more hardcore in terms of devotion and what needs to be done and how you connect with God. And I think breaking that or sinning is uh, not great. So you don't want to be doing that and you're going to be repenting on your own and, you know, being in prayer lots and lots of times. But that Mm -hmm. fundamental difference also, you can even see it in a political way where you have your leaders who we'll talk about in a moment um, in early Catholic countries and kingdoms who sin all the time and just get, you know, absolution. And for these people, that's not good enough, which is fair to be fair. That's fair. You know, you, you murder half your country. I don't think you should be able to just be like, well, say five Hail Marys and do whatever. No judgment, but come on, what's the, what's the, how does that work? But you can see this also being taken to a whole nother level when mm-hmm. you have morals tied to a religion that then punishes the, you know, on and on yeah. and on. So there's a lot at play here uh, that goes back and forth. But even against that tenant as well, then the next one after ir- irresistible grace would then be the perseverance of the saints. And this is if you are truly born again, then God will keep you close to them and you will pers- persevere to the end of your life. So essentially, mm-hmm. and that I guess answers kind of a bit of your question where if you are this truly born again, I mean, that's, I think, where you're getting the born again Christian parts from, where you're getting these things where you are a part of this faith, you are really devoting yourself, then you are going Mm -hmm. to be kept close. But if you don't, Mm -hmm. then maybe you lose the grace of God, and then that can cause a lot of problems as well. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's just a very, very limited, quick, sparknote version of what this is. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more here. Mm -hmm. There's so much in depth to Calvinism that I'm not entirely familiar with, if I'm being honest, just more of on the political side and this side and the the intensity. I'm pretty sure they don't like music, if I'm getting that right. Um, But (laughs) I know know you know more about them than I do, Zan. If you wanted to say anything in regards to what I'm getting at here, if I'm in the right track. Yeah, so I I, I wouldn't say I know an awful lot to about the the faith itself uh to where i would call myself an expert on calvinism what i will say is i've i've studied a bit of dutch baroque art and that period of time where uh amsterdam the, the 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 flemish region sort of breaks away and and revolts from uh, the rest of uh, what, mm. what would that have been like the the Holy Roman Empire or yes uh, yeah, yeah. Th- basically they, they break off and do their own thing they're at war on and off with Spain and stuff um but their their attitudes uh are pretty present in their art and the right. they are deeply in some ways they're a we can look at them and kind of put this we can put this idea of them being the more progressive modern region of Europe at the time fair enough they yeah. are deeply religious but they because of their opposition to catholicism and their uh sort of this this haven that they offer mm. to people trying to 
trying trying to escape southern catholic europe they can have they can sort of have this um this this more community oriented not monarchy oriented system of government they're very community based mm. uh in terms of you know the the local heads of business are all going to sit on a board and they're going to decide how things work gotcha. you know they have like the house of orange and stuff but their art is not of even though their art is deeply religious and has a ton of symbolism in it, they are not into the idea of painting Jesus on the cross. They find right. that distasteful. They do not like the idea that an actor or a model could sit and pose as the Virgin Mary mm. because acting is a, uh, you know, a, a, a scandalous profession. And what if the woman right. that you know how would you feel if the woman that posed as the virgin mary was actually a prostitute that a painter hired to pose uh well, yeah well we'll yeah, talk about caravaggio so, in that case because that's gonna yes. definitely come up when we get to our gallery portion of this yes so uh their their idea was that all of these actions uh everything that they consumed was uh, very moralized, and they wanted to live with a constant reminder of all of this bounty and variety, all of these wonderful things to live and do as you went about your life, you know, their commerce, their farming, their traveling, their collecting weird oddities from all over the world. They were very wealthy traders. Um... But they always wanted a reminder that this life is temporary and that th there sh that should always be in the back of your mind that we're we are these like you're saying these chosen people they believe in predestination meaning that you're born and it is already determined whether or not you are getting into heaven. It is up to you to act in a way that uh, follows that mm. that uh, prediction. And that's a very weird way to think of uh, human free will and yeah. and everything. But in an interesting way, I think it kind of puts this pressure on you to want to fulfill that prophecy. You're like, well, I was brought up in this society, and we are being taught that our way is the correct way. So I want to do everything that would be in line with me leading a virtuous life and ending up in heaven with the rest of my family. Right. It, in some ways, takes the some pressure off of you in another sense it's a very odd look at again human free will and yeah your, the, the power of your decisions if everything is already predetermined for you it's a very confusing doctrine yeah. to to try and wrap your head around i assume without getting into the more nitty-gritty parts of the yeah, theology it's, it's a lot yeah, but but having studied that art, you can see that they are they are 
very concerned with this mm. image of themselves mm-hmm. as these uh predetermined uh citizens of heaven right. that they want to build a good and just world full of wonderful things uh you know they they want to organize uh you know alms houses poor houses uh, support for orphans and widows, mm. and and uh, and focus just on you know growing the economy, growing that economy. Got to get that economy, growing boring. that econ- <laughs> economy, <laughs> and you know uh, maybe they also s- uh, commit some slavery here and there, uh, and, uh, and build and build their fortunes on yeah. <laughs> people in mm. Africa and South America. Yeah. Um, yep. But they they can kind of justify it with with this idea yeah that they were always meant to go to heaven so they want to build a certain vision of themselves that that they're above the the decadence of the of the of the catholics that yes you know that are that seem to be having too much fun that seem to be indulging too much in the pleasures of life yeah. you know they would much r- rather than <laughs> you know paint stuff that is is so dramatic they would rather paint oysters and be scandalized by right. the by the oysters which could represent uh food going bad uh the the some something left Un- unattended was mm. was kind of provocative also the oysters could be associated uh, as as an aphrodisiac the oysters could look like genitalia right. that was their that was their kind of indulgence interesting of, yeah it's more more of more of a subtle like we know there's fun to be had but we want to have this idea of ourselves and this way of life that that sets us apart because we right, are right. we are predetermined we have predestination gotcha yeah and i mean i think i think too within our next our next part of this tour we'll talk even more about the art specifically and what that says when you compare both catholics and protestants going into the visual arts um mm-hmm. but in in moving with uh, thank you again for the uh, or thank you for summing that up because it's very i think informative for all of us um to we want to keep that in the back of our heads when thinking about or the back of our minds when we're going to be looking at how this type of idea or even a pre an earlier version of this origin originating in france that's going to come out of the calvinist idea uh what that will do when going up against the Catholic Church and specifically the monarchy mm-hmm. of France at the time. Did they did they see themselves as because like obviously they're all Christians, but was there any idea of Catholicism as being kind of Italian nonsense, you know, that they could look at the Southern that they could look at the Southern Europeans and be like, uh, those those wily Mediterraneans. The the Protestants or the French? The the Protestants. Oh, okay. Uh Cause, cause, probably. Cause, probably, cause, honestly. Yeah. Um yeah. but I think 
I I mean, maybe towards like the north as that catches on, like after mm-hmm. into the 1600s, I think yes. But the mm-hmm. French are also very Catholic and the Spanish are also very Catholic. So, mm-hmm. and they're all about it. So it's like, you know, when, when we're going to talk about here in France, I think maybe a little bit it starts to come through. Mm-hmm. I definitely think later. Yes, mm-hmm. you'll probably have people be like, oh, well, that's just, you know, they're just Italians. I don't, you know, what do they know? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. guess, like, you you know, their vision of Europe and what it means to be European at that point, whatever that even mm-hmm. means, right? Because you're, you know, you're part of your kingdom. I think it's the, like the early versions of nationalism mixed with religion, but mm-hmm. that might come into play. Here, specifically in France, it's more, mm-hmm. it's more about why would you follow this way of thinking mm-hmm. it's challenging a thought process and it's challenging uh, a political regime or a monarchy that doesn't have everybody's interest in mind um mm-hmm. and so like that mm-hmm. being said what i who i want to talk about specifically because this is a huge turning point in this reformation and and uh, really it's famous for the violent portion of the reformation is to mm-hmm. discuss the huguenots um, which is spelled, it's also pronounced Huguenots. It's the anglicized version, but Huguenots is the French, so we'll go with that. It's Huguenot um, spelled Huguenot. <laughs> yeah, you cannot know the difference. It's pronounced Huguenot, and you can be like, Huguenot. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Huguenot, it's pronounced, <laughs> no, wait, yeah. Um, he, yes, Huguenot that was good. Huguenot is how to pronounce it. <laughs> I like that was good. I like that, but um, yeah, they 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 are a very interesting story, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. a sad one actually here mm-hmm. during this time. Um, but something that also gives us some insight into what into really the violent portion of this Reformation and what happens mm-hmm. when you change religions and you argue mm-hmm. and go anyway. So the Huguenots were a ragtag group of Protestants. Uh, who were unfortunately stuck in France, a Catholic country, and uh-huh. later treated as a minority there. Um, however, even calling them ragtag, which they kind of are in a way, but this is something I didn't realize, and this is um, not really explained that well in history mm-hmm. classes, is that they actually made up over like two to two and a half million people in, oh. as a part of the population. What was the total population of France at the time? Oh God, I don't actually know. Not well. Here's here's the statistic that they would be about one tenth of the population to give you some. Okay, so we can. Way. So okay, okay, so we can multiply two million by ten, and say twenty million. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay, so you know it's a pretty high percentage. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. Now there is also I I found out too a lot of Catholic propaganda against the Huguenots. If we look back historically, that has affected our mm. lens where they were seen as violent and starting things and being the aggressor here. And I want to make that clear. That's not entirely true. There's actually a lot of nuance to this whole story, and we need to look at it that way and try to look at it as objectively as possible. So I'm going to do my best Mm -hmm. to try and explain it that way rather than fall into any Catholic propaganda because it's the last thing we want to do. Also, Mm -hmm. we don't want to fall into either side's propaganda. But um, just getting that out of the way, they are a group that comes after the Reformation. So the Reformation mm-hmm. happens in um, the 
think it was like 1530. The Reformation happens with Luther. That starts blowing mm-hmm. up, catches like wildfire. Stuff's happening in the Holy Roman Empire. Now things are also happening in France. But there's also mm-hmm. a huge interest in humanism at the same time and philosophy. And then we're getting Calvin's writings, Luther's writings, and Calvin's actually looking at Luther and other uh-huh. theologians who are just, you know, doing. There's so many people at play here that we really just don't have time to cover, unfortunately. But there's just a lot of scholars and other thinkers and maybe not the best type of people talking about different ideas that they have and just uh-huh. putting it out there and people are listening because why not? And there's, you know, we're starting to have different ideas here um, and different ways to follow faith specifically. So right. as the French, the French have always liked, liked a, a complex philosopher. Yes. And actually that's a good point here to make as well, because even the King of France at the time uh, Francis I was pretty mm-hmm. lenient about this, surprisingly. Like, rather than, you know, you have 16th century England that's locking down thought yeah. process, like, you could, it's pretty draconian, to be honest. Mm-hmm. France is kind of open. They're not really mm-hmm. shutting people down yet. You yet. could kind of, you could kind of see it, though, as that, that attitude of the French, though, that they're sophisticated, that they're, that this is their idea that they have of themselves more but yeah the, the idea that they're willing to you know entertain an idea like that it's right it, you know you you could see the the, the flattery too of, yes of yes. our our king reads uh you know uh uh subversive writings you know well he didn't but his sister did actually ah. a lot um okay who actually was an ev- like an evangelical but never she never okay. left the church though she was full okay. into this idea like she actually really was down with the not just the huguenots but in general like this protestant idea of faith but they cannot break ties with the church politically so they never do right that is yeah. some families though noble families are not too cool with that but mm-hmm. regardless, right at the, you're, you're totally right, where it's the sense of, like, you could see people being kind of open to it. Like, yeah, we let our, we let our scholars read Luther. You know, why not? We, we should always yeah, have yeah. this. We should have this information at hand just in case so we can also keep an eye on people. However, yes. the thing here is that Catholicism will start to get worried that this other form of Christianity, though these Huguenots, are starting mm-hmm. to gain a lot of traction. And that's mm. uh, questionable. But mm-hmm. going back to Francis I, who's king of France at the time, and this is the 1520s into the 30s, he also considered himself to be like that humanist king, just like you're saying, where, you know, the philosopher king, kind of, you know, trying to look at it, things intellectually and be open and try mm-hmm. to find peaceful mm-hmm. situations and let knowledge be knowledge, which is also kind of, you know, we would consider him a moderate at that time. It means something different right. now, but then it's like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. he's kind of cool and chill. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that'll change later. And mm-hmm. one such event that's going to change this is is called the Affair of Placards that happens in 1534. And so what mm. basically this is is that one night a bunch of Protestants placed placards, which are plaques, writings, things, you know, all around the city that made fun of Catholic Mass and also ridiculed the Virgin Mary. Uh, mm. So weirdly enough, they're not into that the Catholics' whole idea of Mary. And mm-hmm. someone actually snuck into the king's like residence and put one on the king's chamber door which oh. is 
that's treason, to be clear. That would like <laughs> that is not good. You do not do this. Okay, you would lose your head for that. And yeah. that this is essentially thought to be a power move by the Protestants, by the Huguenots, the, ma- the majority of the time of the of them, basically saying that we differ from your beliefs, we differ from Catholic beliefs, and we can also get to you where you sleep. Mm. This crosses the line for France, in a yeah. sense, for France's monarchy. This is the beginning of the end, in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. And it, Shots I mean, it, yeah, well, yeah, quite literally, and they retaliate, and a number of evangelicals are burned. Some flee to other countries, mm-hmm. uh, like actually Calvin did. He left in, I think, went to Switzerland, and some mm-hmm. also just stay put. So the Huguenots mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about are the ones that stayed. And after this event, that's really what starts to get things going in France and really start to cause some conflicts, especially with the royal houses in France who are starting to get riled up and wanting to go after the Huguenots, but also starting mm-hmm. to make their own power moves. Um, so another thing, though, that's at play here is that the Huguenots were preaching to the common folk uh, preaching mm-hmm. to the common folk. So they were very good at this. And not even in a like treacherous way. It was more of an, an open way where it's, we are talking to you, the people who form this kingdom, the people who really run this country. And you can also connect with God. You don't need to go to church. You don't need to be worshiping the Pope. You don't need to go to a priest. You can connect to God. And they love it. And they're really into it. So a lot mm-hmm. of people are converting and a lot of people are being open to new ideas. And when you have a government based in religion that's tied to another major headquarters in a different country or different mm-hmm. kingdom, mm-hmm. they're not really keen on losing people connected in there because they lose their influence. So that would really be a big reason as to why they're going to end up being persecuted, the Huguenots, that is. And, you know, again, the Huguenots, this idea is also really challenging that of the authoritarian way of life there. There's a dis- mm-hmm. There's an imbalance happening, and it's... Yeah, it's it's a problem for sure, at least for the Catholics. Yeah, this this is all very real problems that they are trying to address just ba- baked baked into the nature of the the powerful there. And in a time when politics and religion were so intertwined and it's hard to talk about one without the other you you try to figure out the because all of these theologies are responding politically they're yeah yeah they're it's it's not quite like starting a new religion necessarily because they presumably want all of these tenets of christianity they like Right. Those ideas, or at least those ideas are so ingrained in them that they cannot see themselves separating from them. Mm. So all of their their theology at this point basically is is becoming political science. They're they're right. trying to reform the politics. They un they understand how there has to be this uh how how Catholicism facilitates this this grip of yeah of absolute power over them so they would then want to say oh well we want to 
reform christianity because mm-hmm. christianity governs us it's not it's 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 a different idea of re- reformation politics yeah because that was a part of who they were it mm. was it it would it would be more similar today to trying to reform laws or reform yeah. the idea of a nation because we tie so much more of ourselves to that than really to religion in contemporary times yeah exactly it it, it is it's difficult but also you can very well see this making sense at that time and the difficulty of doing that right but mm-hmm. it, it, to effect though they were making enough headway that they started getting on their radars you know, yes. and and getting cocky too, I should say. They were starting to get a little mm-hmm. arrogant about how far they could take this, um, because mm-hmm. they also did have people in politics. They had members in law. They had members who were really in different and powerful positions later mm-hmm. on in the military, and that's yeah concerning for the people who are running the country. So it mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. It, it, it's a lot of these things coming to head. Um, and I say this too because going forward in time in about 1560, you're get, we're going to get an event known as the Amboise Conspiracy. And this mm-hmm. essentially, in, in summarizing this as fast as possible, because again, all of these points in history I'm talking about are long, convoluted, and there's a lot at play mm-hmm. here. There's mm-hmm. royal families trying to be cutthroat and get to the throne. There's a whole other subplot of things going on. I mean, this is like... If this was the HBO series, we'd have like five seasons on this whole thing. It's kind uh-huh. of it's kind of crazy. But essentially, <laughs> what happens is in 1560, there's a power vacuum created because the king at the time is killed in a freak jousting accident where he died via lance into the face, uh, like instantly. You know, freak jousting <laughs> accident. I feel like it's not. Is it that? <laughs> is it that surprising? Jousting is, you know, it's not like. There's there's freak hopscotching accident, <laughs> you know, when you're like, oh, wow, I did not know the stakes were this high. Right. I you mean, know, ra- rather yeah. rather than like, oh, rock climbing accident. And you're like, ah, well, that kind of comes with well, the territory. I think because it's the king, they're supposed to go easy. And I think what happened mm. is the lance broke and splintered into his face, I guess, in his helmet or if he wasn't wearing one. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you get a bunch of splinters in the face, you're going to die. So that was not great. Yeah. Um, but yeah. and he was rather young, too. So oh, yeah, it's like yeah, new yeah. blood. We're really starting. And then it's like gone. And yeah. then this leaves the, a boy king who I'm lacking the name of his uh, his name, but it's not really important. Who is at the helm of the throne um, uh-huh. to which a noble family called the Bourbons. Who is who are Protestant move to shape and guide him on the throne. So they make a power mm-hmm. move, and they're like, "We're gonna get at this kid, and we're gonna take control because if we have influence, we can convince him to leave the church." Mm-hmm. That's a big deal, and that's yeah. and because there's multiple families, like I was saying, there's the Bourbons, there's the Valois, I think it's Valois. I I don't entirely remember. Oh, uh, the Bourbons. The, that's that's like that's uh uh like Louis the. 14th line i I'm sure right i don't know i actually have no idea what that's t- what they're tied to um okay i just know they're at play here specifically uh-huh. but um tweet at us if you know um <laughs> <laughs> this is where um 
you know, actually, even a lot of the propaganda can come in from Catholics where Huguenots are looked at as militant, um, even mm. though it's not really what's going on. But this power grab, and this is actually, this is why, because this power grab results in a lot of conflicts and uh-huh. violent ones. So at this point going forward, um, and we're going to move pretty late into the 1500s, there's already been eight discrete civil wars happening all across the country. Uh, between Protestants and Catholics, battling oh, it out gosh. with each other. And yeah. this is known as the French Wars of Religion and are also more grouped into the Wars of Religion, which plagued Europe on and off for some time. Um, but they were essentially a... It's kind of like a mafia war filled with skirmishes. So mm. uh, mercenaries were hired to fight other mercenaries, and it's mostly affecting just the common folk who live, mm-hmm. who just trying to live their lives, right? This is happening in the countryside. People are getting raided, killed, murdered pillaged you know and this all this is continuing all throughout europe later on too it's not just a french thing this and you know rather Mm -hmm. than focusing on the war specifically because and we could really get into it but i think what's important to note here is that both religions are responsible for doing some pretty bad stuff to each other over time Mm -hmm. even into today it still happens and it is coming from this history it's not as clean cut as oh catholics and protestants they're the same they're not and this kind of get this is and it is it is a very nuanced thing it's very short right it's uh, it's these subtleties right. but there's so much violence that happens at this point that you look back and it's like oh my god yeah this is actually pretty brutal and it is and uh spare you the details but there's a lot going on at that point mm-hmm. and you know it's just also rich people paying other armies to fight for themselves and then yeah. the other side would then pay the mercenaries more to then fight for them and it's just this huge it's a, it's like a yeah it's like a mafia war essentially um yeah yeah but this is all happening in the background and going forward okay so just keeping in that in mm-hmm. mind while the huguenots are still existing because even mm-hmm. regardless of the bourbons or regardless of any of the crime families any of the or not crime families any of the these families <laughs> these noble families they might as well be crime they might families. as well they might as well um doing whatever it is they are doing to get power there's still people who believe in this who are Mm -hmm. faithful to their faith to their religion and living their lives who are going to suffer because of this yeah and because of catholic uh influence and what they're trying to do as well as then this power move but while that's all happening though it's also important to know that the catholic church is frantically trying to hold on to power while doubling down on their show of extreme power wealth and art but like i said before too we're going to talk about that on the part uh, three of our mm-hmm. tour here because that comes into a whole other dialogue but keeping in mind though that they they're going to show their power because they need to keep control so right. going back to france though the clergy and the church are really becoming worried about high-ranking french military officials um, who are taking to protestant ways and connecting with that way of thinking now on top of this, there was also already an eagerness by another noble family, French noble family, known as the Guy, mm-hmm. uh, to just flat out murder the Protestants. They wanted to take them out and get rid of them all. They were super extreme Catholic, uh, yeah, super extreme Catholics. Uh huh. The um the yeah the Bourbons were the Protestant ones, and the Val- Valois who were connected to uh like Francis the first line. They're neutral. Let's say they want to keep peace, but. That doesn't really work out. So anyway, uh-huh. the Guy are super, super Catholic, and they really want the throne. Uh-huh. They have a claim to it. That's okay. all the very strange Game of Thrones political stuff we'll get into for it. But 
eventually getting to 1570, they get a chance at bloodshed. And when they get the go-ahead by the church, because they are greenlit to do this, they mm. conduct a hit on the Huguenots. And this will be known as the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre, which mm. is a very big event that is very brutal and pretty awful. Mm -hmm. Now, wow. okay. the, now this massacre started by an ordering of a hit on a Protestant admiral in the French Navy named Francis de Coligny. So yeah, Coligny, not Italian, he's French. Mm -hmm. uh, but during this hit was to take place during a wedding celebration week in Paris. And what essentially ensues after is chaos. So firstly, the admiral was shot with a pistol from a window. Then his men carried him into a building for safety where a mob of Catholics then broke in, attacked them, killing all of the men. And then even, um, also this is kind of brutal, so just warning, but they yeah. even castrated Kalini and exposed him out the window to everybody. Oof. It's not great. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Brutal. All right. Brutal. All right. We're really. All, uh, all right. All of we this in there. just a fr yeah. All this in a frenzy, show of power, and like we are going to brutalize you because mm -hmm. yes. So after this attack, mm -hmm. it spurred the Catholics of Paris into a frenzy, to which they were killing anyone who was said to be Huguenot in the streets, in their homes, mm -hmm. and anywhere. This lasts for mm -hmm. months. This isn't just a one point event. This starts at a wedding and just continues onward and is just what is going to be going on. And it results yeah. in some 25,000 people being killed in Paris alone and up to 10 and 15,000 in the countryside being killed as well. Mm. To even deal with the bodies, they ended up needing mass graves to handle it all. Jesus. And that's happening in the cities and outside of it as well. So. This okay, so they're they're not messing around. They're really no. cracking down no. on this, and I mean it's it's terrifying. But like I I know it's it's popular now to look at to look at what uh, European Christians did as they brutalized people across the world. I think it's important to remember this context of this is what people uh, trying to establish control do. Yeah. That this was that this was happening and this you could compare you could compare violence like this to the Crusades. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot. It's brutal. Yeah. And I mean this this massacre dealt a quite literally deadly blow to the Huguenots. Mm -hmm. It's it's a massive blow. I mean, this ends a lot of things. They mm -hmm. the result of it in the end is them having to eventually flee to the New World. Uh, I mm -hmm. think they go to Brazil, if I remember correctly. Um, we're not necessarily going to get into it because it's we're focused on Europe mm -hmm. specifically at the moment. But they do flee, and lots of people. Lots of actually, there's people out there that can connect their family lines to Huguenots fleeing France and where wow. they end up. It's kind of wild. And um, because they had no promise of safety to worship in their churches without threat of being attacked or massacred again, there was like no, oh that was it. It was like, we're done. We're not taking this anymore. You're out, gone. And Yikes. through violence. 
again, having uh-huh. all of these other things happening on the outskirts of this as well with different, you know, skirmishes happening. But this is like one of the first times that it's really just civilians being targeted and mm-hmm. murdered just for faith. So wow, you can see that though affecting that idea that even you were talking about, right? Where it's like, it's the persecuted people, but we are in God's eyes, the righteous and we're going to succeed and we are predestined to do this thing. And I mean, not even getting into horrors that are going to happen in, you know, mm-hmm. the Americas and what it is done to indigenous people by both of these religions. Mm-hmm. This is still pretty brutal in Europe. Yeah. You know, this is not great. Um, mm-hmm. And, it sets a tone, that's for sure. And I think really here you start to see the divide between Southern Europe and Northern Europe, where Southern Europe be, is, is going to be predominantly Catholic and they're not really mm-hmm. going to tolerate any other types of religions really at right. all, especially Spain earlier on was already not doing that with the Inquisition. Oh, yeah. And Northern Europe is going to Didn't keep... Didn't expect that. <laughs> well, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> um, clearly, but, clearly I mean, they didn't. This, this is this is our contemporary read of of Amsterdam and and really the Netherlands as proto America in a lot of yeah, ways because yeah. you know the the while not a not a perfect society by a lot of measures they were tolerant of a lot of other peoples because they they saw themselves as as having as having sort of this this forward thinking more evolved kind of christianity mm-hmm. and you could point to the catholics who they were at war with and and yeah. they they could point to themselves as being the next step in theology and and social graces and the ways right. that they were meant to behave they were you know much more tolerant of the jews in Mm -hmm. a lot of places uh rembrandt famously uh lived near a jewish neighborhood and and painted them as just everyday people Mm. so there's there is a um there is sort of that that idea that they had of yeah. themselves, despite still still being Christians, they had this political angle that they were free of the constraints of Catholicism. Yes. They were free of many of the constraints of monarchy. They didn't have this uh the the same sort of Roman uh, legacy that they could tie to their own history so they focused on their prowess at commerce and trading mm-hmm. and they focused on their landscape this is also why landscape painting was so much more popular with uh with yeah. protestant uh dutch uh citizens than it right. was in southern europe because their they saw their landscape art as a celebration of who they were that was what they could tie themselves to right right and that yeah and it makes a lot of sense i mean almost in the same way of again that glory to rome and you have people Mm -hmm. tying themselves the catholics specifically roman catholics tying themselves back to rome it's the when you don't have that you have to find something else to do it with and right i i think too you see that spread across europe with the different versions beyond just that of the netherlands you know Mm -hmm. doing kind of that same thing 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is, it is interesting looking at it at that at the, in that way where you know you're getting a freedom of thought of being able to read in vernacular language, not Latin. You can mm-hmm. preach in your own language. You do not have to preach yeah. gospel or preach the Bible in. I don't think you preach the Bible though in Catholicism, but you know, not in Latin. <laughs> so it's more accessible. Thought is more accessible. The ideas of what's in the, you know, what's in this book, right? It's got a lot of ideas yeah, in there. Yeah. A lot of stuff going on in the Bible, including uh, <laughs> aliens and giants. If you read uh, the Eli, or you read whatever, between the lines. You know? got to read between the lines, and you, sometimes you got to put on a show, especially if you know with <laughs> televangelists and whatnot. But again, this later, and but it, but in the, this is still important to. Mm-hmm a post-Renaissance society, or even, Dor- no, it's Doring, right? I mean, this is all mm-hmm. kind of happening around the same time. I guess it is post-Renaissance. But, you know, Age of Enlightenment, people are thinking, a lot going on. We got books, printing press, we got books, printing presses all in effect. Mm-hmm. And you're spreading ideas. But that doesn't come without conflict, I guess, in human history, unfortunately. And this is mm-hmm. one of those results. And, you know, it, it, I, I think I think we can look at it in terms of the nuance as well, but you do lose a minority group here that mm-hmm. I wonder what the difference would have been if they did end up being predominantly mm-hmm. in France and welcomed and then stayed. And maybe yeah. France doesn't become as Catholic. I don't know. I mean, it, it's such an interesting... Yeah, but 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 even like of the catholic countries we think of france as the most agnostic yeah in, in that's contemporary true. times post post revolution really um right and and but we we still sort of have that idea of some some type of uh of some romantic idea of them as as passionate yeah uh emotional catholics and yeah the, the versus versus the austerity the the perceived austerity of protestants right, um, it, right. It, you know but okay maybe maybe you would have had a relatively peaceful netherlands situation or you could have had a uh an ireland situation it probably would have been that to be honest it would have been yeah because like, you're you're on be- both sides a little, a little, a little reversed, maybe, where probably in that case the the Catholics would see themselves as connected to the larger network and empire of of Catholicism versus yeah uh, the, the Protestants seeing themselves as uh, the more mm-hmm. uh, as the 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 group that could set themselves apart right. But it's it's also the difficulty with trying to understand. What exactly do we want out of international politics and influence? Mm. Because uh, you want places to have, you want people within a locale to have some self-determination and control over their own internal affairs. And then you also want some sort of international body to be like, hey, there's we all need to be on the same program here yeah. with uh, with X, Y, and Z. And right. you know, I'm, in the case of, you know, the United Nations, that's on the whole human rights and and giving, providing, uh, 
providing a a body that will seek justice for people who have to rebel against their governments mm. and and it's it's you, you can you can understand in, in instances like this in history you understand people's misgivings about wanting to have uh giving someone outside of where you live power because we saw this with catholicism we saw the better part of a continent for hundreds of years was not politically directly controlled Mm -hmm. but was under the sphere of influence of one city on the italian peninsula yeah had had some tie to it and and the the progressions we have made since then have in large part been uh freeing freeing uh society from the idea that there is one correct way to live your life mm. and you must follow these instructions right Right. Meanwhile, everyone trying to reinvent the wheel with their theology, which at the end of the day just wants you, for the most part, at its core, wants you to be mindful of things in life, the things that we can actually, like, get behind. When when I talk to people that actually deeply think about their religion, it is something that I can appreciate because— like I have a friend who keeps kosher and he's not particularly religious. I mean he is, but you know, not not super super orthodox or mm-hmm. anything. But to him it's important because at least you know to hear him talk about it he's like I want to think about everything that goes into my body and I want to take Fair enough. and I want to have this I, I want to have some sort of mindfulness and some sort of that that I do not just let anything happen to me, that I mm. have a set of rules that I follow. And it's a it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. You can be you can be kind of annoyed with people that have to say prayers before every meal. And I think at a certain point that becomes kind of robotic and as we'll 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 talk more about this i think as we get further into um the the industrial age and everything but there was i mean this is where hasidism and the amish this is where all Mm -hmm. of that stuff comes from where they want to reject the uh automatic just uh cruise control of life and they want to look at every decision that they make and every aspect of their life in the lens of a greater story and a greater purpose and that's kind of a a wonderful thing what i think you could also look at is there's plenty of people that do not do that they just follow the rules as they are written mm. and they think that that gives them a pass to do yeah. to do other awful yeah. things and it's it's sort of our 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 difficulty in saying which side of this is right and which side is wrong 
because ultimately they're they're both groups of people that are going to excuse what they wanted to do anyways right with theology that that can be bent Mm. any which way i mean because that i think is is the nature of of a lot of organized religions yeah i think that's really well said and i think also highlights that difference between a faith a faith but an awareness of it and an actual Mm -hmm. steep spiritual appreciation of it without necessarily like devotion right like the idea of being aware of what goes into your body makes a lot of sense right yeah like whether it be you know with kosher or halal like anything that i think exactly is mindful of you and mindful of your body The, the whole your body is a temple thing but i think there's a lot of truth to that right it makes a lot of sense and i I, I think in a lot of the the bro- let's say broad organized religion or even this even your your different versions of it extreme yeah. version or not especially in Christianity that it's that broadness just doesn't match up with the ideas that are being right. preached right like Jesus is talking about socialist ideals in the Bible but if you bring up socialism to a Christian mm-hmm. especially in America they're gonna yell at you. Because Jesus apparently would be an alt right, you know, religious freak. I, I mean, no hate, but also hate because this is bad. Like, I, I just yeah, don't yeah. get it. It's the con, it's the contradictions that I think are problematic. Right. And but we can also separate mm-hmm. those from the good parts that are in these than it is in faith because we don't want to yeah, be like but, Bill but, Maher. But or anything, all you, you know? all you have to do is look at across the world where Catholicism is associated with the leftists of yeah. a given country like in south america and yeah. In, yeah 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 uh and in ireland like the, so so i think to some extent some of this stuff is arbitrary i think sure, they're yeah. associating their 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 rightful ob- their 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 correct observations of themselves as being put down and finding some community space to rally everybody together to find some sort of uh, nativist but also common cause with everybody that you could say, we are united in our XYZ religion. We can point to these parts of our spirituality that justify us and... uh, our uh and and in our righteous cause Mm. and we can use that to mobilize people what what i'm occasionally kind of kind of interested in 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 the context of you know america's america's odd relationship with religion where for the most part society is fairly secularized but there are extremely vocal and politically powerful people that um Mm. that 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 use religion as a way to get people very uh passionate people out to vote to appeal to people's uh paranoias and uh and everything i think Sometimes, uh, do, do you do you know John McWhorter? I don't. I don't think so. He's uh he's a Columbia professor. He's a uh uh he's like a, a 
an expert in like Creole languages and oh, wow. uh, uh, Black American English. Uh, and he's he, he seems like a, a very I've I've seen a couple of blurbs every now and then of him speaking, and he there there's there's not always points that I agree with, but he has kind of an interesting observation of um the the way that we f might phrase an argument now or the way that we we have to couch so much of what we say in 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 affirming our positions politically before mm. we can make a statement about anything and he compares that kind of speech to a new religion that hmm. uh that if if you believe that we are born into this society and we, you are brought up in a space that teaches progressive politics or or whatever you will grow up with an understanding that there is systemic racism in America and you are not able to ever really fully free yourself from that. Mm. Um, and he kind of points to the way that people might use this going forward as a new kind of original sin, as something to kind of potentially hang over your head. And hmm. it, it's kind of an interesting thought. I don't know if I uh, agree with that entirely, but I could see people who want to use, uh, who, who want, who want to make themselves heard and want to like, so, sort of like promote, promote their own ideas and make sure that everyone knows that they're one of the good people by affirming <laughs> all of these things first. Right. Like, is that virtue signaling? Right. A yeah. Ba bit. Basically, basically that, that virtue, maybe virtue signaling is, is maybe the better term for it. You're, I think you're that, that, that could become its own kind of excuse going forward where you can say all of these things and then say something hurtful afterwards or but you've couched everything uh, in yeah. in your attitude of righteousness and aligned yourself with the correct people interesting yeah i mean you I, you got it maybe i could see that happening it already is kind of happening maybe not in a religious yeah. sense, sense but definitely where the uh, you know you have people that will excuse bad things they say and bad takes because they do mm -hmm. they believe xyz or whatever and it's like mm -hmm. okay uh it doesn't really you can't be racist just because you like say you know say that you support whatever organizations or whatever mm -hmm. uh political beliefs you know it's like that doesn't really make a difference but okay it's crazy right, i mean right. and also just like people well yeah i mean i i don't know this is an interesting take though i think definitely we'll definitely have to discuss it more when we put it into the american perspective as well yeah yeah because i, I think i I I felt like it was it was relevant to no it to is bring 100%. him up. He kind of popped into my head while we as as we were talking, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, we'll we'll get into how much this stuff is intertwined with American yeah. history and American civil rights as well, and yeah. that that stuff is extremely interesting.
Yeah, because spoiler alert, it is a lot. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But but yeah, I think I think it, no, I'm glad you brought it up. It's definitely very interesting and and re- it is relevant in terms of what we're discussing with the Huguenots and the history here. But mm-hmm. you know, ultimately, I think in sort of bringing this to a close, you know, it's what we see here that's happening after the start of the Reformation from the 95 from the origin of the theses, right to then France's battles and, and and skirmishes and massacres over religion and politics all combined. I mean, really at the center of it, it is also people, regular people, civilians yeah. being affected, but then also gaining a, a bit of, and honestly more than in a while, a voice, right? Mm-hmm. To, to speak up, to think for oneself and start questioning their faith mm-hmm. and where of course this we know where this goes and it doesn't end quite well and even france as a country later on is going to do some pretty horrific things and still kind of doesn't or at least mm-hmm. doesn't admit it but you know regardless of that <laughs> it is interesting in seeing it this way and you know but then also being aware of the violence that's occurring just under the misunderstanding not even misunderstanding just the the violence that is occurring here through time while all of this is happening right that it isn't this like streamlined event there are regular people who are just trying to set up their family farm that they've been farming since you know gaul existed and like just being killed because of whatever reason because a mercenary wanted a chicken or or whatnot well it's it's the wild thing about you have to imagine people that are in agrarian communities and any center of conflict throughout history because, I mean, now it's a little different because of the internet and stuff, but you s- there's... It, it still feels... To, to some people, does did it feel extremely far away, like you could remove yourself from it, and whoever was in power, whatever the socioeconomic uh, system was in place like you know if you were a farmer in siberia like did it did it matter that you were one day you woke up and the monarchy was gone uh um it's interesting yeah i mean or or suddenly yeah you're you're living in uh the 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 farmlands of france and suddenly it's like oh did you hear about the the huguenots and yeah like the the who Huguenots? yeah the huguenots actually right <laughs> the who knows sorry no, uh, yes, funny. Yes, funny. no i know i was i was building into your joke the what Wait a virtue signal to the huguenots gotta make sure they know i support them um <laughs> <laughs> we here support I don't uh maybe don't. I was like, hold on, we don't actually know. I was like, wait, we're looking at this. We I don't know what they did after. Una- I don't no, know what they we, did after. We we will we will not examine anything else. We support a free and independent Protestant France. Um uh, no matter at what cost. Do we though? It's like, do we want that on our label? Like under <laughs> under the UCM's banner, like by the way, mm. we support this, not anything else. You know. Mm. No. Yeah, uh, that, maybe. That, could, that could be a bad look for us. Yeah, well we'll see what um, happens after the election. So that can also make Oh yeah, problems. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um But yes, I mean it, it is an interesting thought to to be had. There's also I think I think we have to spend a tour at some point really covering that idea. There's a film I want 
maybe we'll talk maybe we'll screen it here at some point called Earth mm-hmm. that's a Soviet Union film that mm-hmm. was talking about the um that point in which the youth of the rural Russia were uh, mm-hmm. really into like communism and really into this like new way of moving forward, but the older population was more attached to their. Or I'm sorry, this also has to do with agriculture specifically. So they were yeah. attached to getting new technology and and unifying their fields, whereas then uh, the older population wanted to stick to their own land that they've had through generations and their own yeah um, things. And, but I mean, but but especially in like stuff like the Soviet Union with with farmers and stuff. Like okay. That's that's also an example of where, you know, communism comes in and everything has to be reevaluated because they are looking to root out uh, the things that remind them of the monarchy or they think are are remnants of of that. kind Yeah. Of. And yeah. like. Yeah. The reason, like, a a bunch of people starved was because they were trying to reinvent farming practices that they thought were more, not even, like, the way that, like, you know, uh, capital is distributed. I'm, I'm not talking about, like, you know, ownership of land or anything. I mean, like, physically, like, trying to plant, physically planting crops <sighs> in a way that reflected the values of communism and and it just did not work in a couple of instances and suddenly there were food shortages like and just the uh the the idea of trying to overhaul everything because you see it as some kind of opposition it it can it can get you into a yeah a yep, yep. a tight spot with your narrative that you are uh unequivocally the the oppressed group yeah 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 maybe it's it, not it, great it hurt it hurt it hurts it hurts the cause it hurts the uh, it does it's well yeah the, maybe the effort maybe it's not great to blindly follow a, a rules and regulations guide and not really like adapt um yeah i don't know just if we learned yeah. anything today maybe it's that um, yeah, but yeah. did we did, did we, we learn, learn something? I I I I definitely learned uh, about the pronunciation of Huguenots. That's really all we. That's really why I organized this whole part, <laughs> and it was just to get that oh, pronunciation wow. done. Oh, no, got, I mean, we, oh, we man, we have we have a couple of weeks of stuff to fill. Oh this yes, was, if this oh was yes. Our, our no, week. this is an important. No, this is an important one. Just for yeah, I, think, yeah. I think the the violence of organized religion really shows here, and this is a yes. very specific example of that that often gets mm-hmm. misunderstood and also looked at through a different lens. Where yeah. the Huguenots are the ones doing this, and the Catholics have to prevent it. So I want to yeah. make that very clear as well yes. that we this is a different look at that as well. Um, yeah, but. That being said, really mm-hmm. excited. Well, that oh, yeah. that being said, where this is gonna go is Nancy. Well, where we're, where we'll be headed next is looking at the ways that both the Catholics and the Protestants take very different stances on the celebration of art. As Sam was already previewing, art's role in glorifying God and what that means to each population, and what does it mean mm-hmm. to remove certain images and different things 
But that's where we're going to pick back up on our tour next week at the Uncanny County Museum with part three of Pros and Cons Protestants. Oh, yeah, we're going to get into Christian rock. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, we might have to. We might have to skip a bit. I mean, from Baroque to Christian rock is where it ends, truly. Mm. Um, Oh, my God. I like what happened? early work. Yeah, I, I do too. I mean, I think it, it really, it, they got too corporate, truly. Yeah, um, yeah. God, we're, we're uh, going to have to, wow. we'll have to save so many mm-hmm. points for that. Well, I, got, I got a lot to say, but. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for the amazing research, Joe. I'm oh, excited you. to, in, in all honesty, did learn a ton mm. and looking forward <laughs> to learning even more in the coming weeks. Uh, let's see. What have uh, what have you got going on out when you're when you're not here and when you're not you know just furiously researching? Oh uh, yes, <laughs> the the Protestants and Catholics. Well, when I'm not doing that, which has been occupying a lot of my time, I have been working on some music and some new projects that I'm excited about, as well as planning some upcoming sh- uh, exhibitions that's going to be in September. Mm. But I can't give too much away yet. But I'll be promoting it soon, hopefully. Um, and still just waiting on some news to hear. I'm a bit, I'm in purgatory quite literally right now. So I guess I got to go buy an indulgence (laughs) to figure out what's going on here. Uh, but until then stay tuned with some upcoming projects I have. Uh, Zam, what do you got going on though? Um, let's see. I am gearing up for my, uh, MFA show, which Mm. is gonna, there's going to be a reception, uh, May 19th. Sorry, May 20th uh, at 6 p.m. And then the show is going to run uh, from then on until the end of May. So that is currently my focus uh, and is going (laughs) to is going to be occupying a lot of my time. But hopefully I'll have some time for some other stuff going on um, and hopefully can uh start posting some more stuff on my uh on my website mm. thank you to uh the people that have uh, already paid me a visit there uh and gotten some stuff really appreciate it uh let's see uh yeah if you would like to find the museum after hours give us comments uh corrections or just just say hello Mm -hmm. you can find us at uncanny museum on twitter and at uncanny county museum on instagram if you'd like to find me i'm at xanasaurus on instagram and i'm at josemino art on instagram and from the uncanny county museum i have been zan peters and i've been josemino bye bye